On this episode of the Film Crux Podcast, we have businessman, content creator, and founder of Film Crux, Lion Eliton. Failures don't matter. People think that if I fail at this video, like, no one's going to come to your house and throw yeah. you in the gulag. Nobody video sucks. Nobody cares. People Nobody think cares. people are thinking about you way more than they're actually thinking right. about you. Some passing snide remark is not going to hurt you. It's right. not going to kill you. It's, it's fine. Welcome to the Film Crux Podcast. I'm your host, Deontay Jenkins, and you heard that correct. We have Lion Eliton coming on this episode of the podcast. This episode is great for anybody that wants to be an entrepreneur or learn how to monetize their passions. I can't even tell you how many gems he drops throughout this episode, so stick around for the whole thing. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you for a second. Because one of the things that I hear the most about these podcasts and the videos that I put up online is that I have a nice voice, to which I say, I do. I even had one person once leave a comment asking me if I do any voiceover work. And unfortunately for you, I don't. But fortunately for you, our sponsor for this episode does. And that sponsor is Voice123. Now, for all of you disappointed that I don't personally do voiceover work, Voice123 has a large database of people that do. And it's really simple to use. You just go to voice123.com and browse their library of voice performers. And you can even listen to samples of the voices so you can make sure you're getting exactly what you're looking for. Now, they have voices from all around the world. And once you find them, all you have to do is contact them and then pay. It's really that simple. So, no, you can't have my voice, but you can have many, many more with voice one, two, three. Some would even say better. I mean, some would say. So head on over to voice123.com to step up the quality of the voiceover work in your videos, your films, your advertisement, and whatever else you could possibly need voiceover work for. Again, that's voice123.com. And now that that's out of the way. So this is a very different episode of the Film Crux podcast, as you heard in the intro. Um, we have the mastermind behind this entire thing mastermind behind the podcast but more importantly the mastermind behind film crux which if you don't already know is an amazing resource for filmmakers there's a lot of free content there to help you improve your filmmaking but there's also a lot of paid content that i really think will help everybody there's there's uh royalty free music uh sound effects foley all, all different types of things that you can use uh vfx all different type really good vfx actually that you can use to improve whatever project you're working on and this guy right here is the genius behind all of it. He is a multifaceted interdisciplinary artist that really just came up with all of this and built this empire <laughs> by, <laughs> out of nowhere. And, and I'm honestly, I'm curious, I'm curious how it all started. Cause you, I know, I know you reached out to me and I, we had been communicating uh, in the comments of each other's TikToks uh, for a while, but you know, I didn't know what Film Crux was until you reached out to me. And I was like, oh, this is this is kind of dope, you know. So I, I'm really curious how you got all of this started. Well, I appreciate the intro. I hope I can live up to how cool you made me sound. But I think I just told it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to start Film Crux, I started doing filmmaking when I used to live in Virginia before a long time ago. Yeah. I used to be in the military. And uh, so I just did it on the side while I was in the military. And I worked on filmmaking just in the beginning, just like how everyone starts where you make really terrible short films. And they just get a little less terrible one after the other. And uh, I loved it. Like, I was obsessed with it. I always loved films ever since I was a kid. I feel like every time we'd go to Blockbuster, you know, my mom would let us pick one of the two movies that she rented. And I was obsessed with everything. I watched all the stuff she got. 
So it was just natural for me to start trying to make them myself. I just didn't realize. It never occurred to me that you couldn't just make them. Yeah. So I started shooting. And then uh, when I got to Alaska, I was shooting more. And me and a friend there, we made a video called Bigger Than Life Ice Skate. We started doing drone filmmaking. Mm. But it was before drone filmmaking was really a thing. It was like GoPro Hero 2 era. Then like the first DJI Phantom. We did like a little test video. So DJ uh, for DSLR Pro sent us a free drone to keep after that to shun it stuff with yeah it was really really awesome so we they just said hey yeah make something amazing with this so we went out and uh, my buddy had the idea to do a video of like alaska's environments so we went and shot an ice cave and we did the first drone flight through an ice cave and up through a mulan and it was called uh bigger than life ice caves and when we put it out that week it just went crazy it went viral everywhere that's great it was all over the news it was in national geographic and it was in Italy and Japan, and it was used in ancient aliens intros. Last CBC, it was just used everywhere. Even people hit us up from big budget movies asking if we could shoot loud the pre production or like the proof of concepts for like DC films and stuff like that. So it went really, really crazy. And so I was like, oh, you could do this. You know, it's not that hard. We, uh, after that, I had read a book by Tim Ferriss called The Four Hour Work Week. And that changed my life because I was never really thinking about money. I just wanted to just make stuff. Yeah. Kind of like how when we talk, we just care about making stuff. So like Dude then said, you know, we don't make uh, movies to make more money. We make money to make more movies. Right. Well, that's how I felt. So I was like, all right, well, if I make more money, I could do bigger and bigger things. I can make better and better stuff. So after reading the 4-Hour Work Week, I came up with an idea. I tried to do a test run of what film props would be, and it was called Film Fjord, but it just... I was working with a partner and it wasn't set up right and like it was just the wrong hosting and it went viral as soon as we launched it and we had all these visits and it was going crazy, but we had too many visits for the hosting to be able to keep the website up. So the website kept crashing just because we had too many people coming to the website. So we couldn't sustain it. It was too expensive to pay for hosting. So like a year or two later, I just did it again myself. And that's when I started Film Crux and I my idea was just to do all the stuff that I needed when I was starting as filmmaking and just do that for everyone. So just give them all the free stuff I can think of, all the help I could think of, all the tutorials. Basically, just be the person that I needed when I started doing filmmaking. Right. And that was the entire concept. And once we started that, it just blew up from there. So where, where were you? How were you coming up with these things that you were giving out for free? Like, how were you coming out with, with all of these what were you learning how to do all of those things to even make something to give to somebody else for free? Yeah, just like, you know, there's stuff that you want for a project, right? right. Maybe you wanted LUTs. There used to be transitions. It was really hard to find transitions for like Premiere Pro. So you'd have to kind of make your own thing or even the stuff you could buy was terrible. Right. So I made stuff for myself and then I figured if I need this stuff, then other people might need it. So I just took the stuff that I learned how to make myself. I just, I was like, I'm either not going to have it or I have to make it myself. So I just make it myself. And then once I made it, I'm like, all right, well, this is probably something other people might want. And I would give it out for free to people. And the videos would hit. People were super appreciative. And I would just do things that normal people would charge for. And I would give it away for free. What were you What were you doing uh, to learn that stuff? Were you, was it YouTube University? Just Googling things? Just kind of yeah, uh, trial and error, figuring things out? Yeah, just like the old ways, like how all the old people in history just teach Myself, autodidactic, like before, people forget that like formal school is brand new. Mm-hmm. Like a few hundred years ago, there wasn't like 
a school everyone went to to learn anything. Right. You either taught yourself or went to someone to teach you mm-hmm. through apprenticeship or mentor, or you didn't learn anything. Right. It's as simple as that. So I just, most of the stuff I want to learn, there's no place to learn it. Like, yeah. I think I saw a round table, a director's round table a few years back. It had Alfonso Coron and a bunch of other, of the greatest directors of that year. And um, none of them went to film school except for Alfonso Coron. He went with uh, his cinematographer, who you know, Emmanuel Chivo, the bestie, who's probably the greatest cinematographer of all time. And they hated film school. So out of all the directors at the round table, only one went and they hated it. So it's like, I always just figured like, I could just do whatever I want. I could learn whatever I want when I wanted to. And I never clicked with school much. So for me, just figuring out the thing I wanted as I needed it was the easiest for me. So that's how I learned how to make everything. The sound, sign, music, everything. That's pretty dope that you learn just by trying because going even more specific than what you said, like film school is brand new. It didn't, film schools didn't happen until like the 60s. In yeah, the late Spike Lee era is the right. beginning of film schools. Like he was some, some of the first big directors. Right, the, the, the first, first, the first, the first uh, film school generation was the uh, movie brats in the 1970s, the, the Coppola's, the Scorsese's, Spielberg, mm-hmm. uh, uh, De Palma. You know, those were the very first like film school graduates. Exactly, exactly. And and that was what forty, fifty years ago. Exactly. So before that, everything that everybody was learning and doing was either taught to them under apprenticeship or they were just making that shit up, which is exactly fucking incredible. Exactly. You know, and the fact that you took those same principles to make something and build this brand that has reached like hundreds of thousands of people. You know, it's it's pretty fucking sick. That's pretty dope. So when did appreciate it? When did when did it really start to like pick up uh, film parks for you? Oh, well, when I got out of the military, I had this plan. I was like, I'm gonna get rich in one year. Yeah, get in the military because you can't get rich in the military. We can't, you know. And even I would even say for most jobs, it's very hard to get rich having a regular job. Mm-hmm. As long as you're trading your time for money, uh, that's like the least efficient way to be because. You can't get more time. You can always get more money, but yeah. you can't get more time. So what you want to do is you want to be trying to buy your time back as much with money. Right. That's really the the real way to do it. So it really picked up for me after I started. It was a little late. It was like I'd done the first year and I wasn't there yet. And then so I made a plan. I like read Thinking Grow Rich and I was like, okay, I'm going to start film clubs, which was my idea I had before with film people. I'm like, all right, I'm going to start film clubs. I'm going to start over. So I started film clubs in like, January a few years ago. I can't remember what year it was exactly. But uh, once I started it, I just started making free stuff, making videos, making stuff on the YouTube channel, getting uh, like tens of thousands of YouTube subscribers real quick. Nothing too much past that because that wasn't the focus. It was just the videos of me giving away free stuff and tutorials. And those were to get people to the website so they could sign up for the email list. And once I did that, it really started taking off. And I got like 20,000 email subscribers uh, real quick, like in four or five months or something like that. Wow. And then uh, after that, my brother, who I run film crooks with, Farrell all the time, he's like, okay, let's make that first product and launch it. Because we had the idea to just do a sound design pack because that's the thing I wanted the most that no one had. It was so hard to find good. It's still hard to find good sound design. Yeah. So we came up with a sound design pack. And he came up with the name Singularity, was, which was perfect. So that's where we styled all of Film Crux's space themes off of Singularity, off of this space VFX that I was already learning before for music videos. So I was like, this is perfect. I already have all these shots. I know how to do space VFX. We'll do that for the style. 
and we launched it. And as soon as we launched it the first day, we just sent an email out to everyone. I think we were giving away copies like to the first people it was like five bucks. You can mm-hmm. get like a copy of Singularity or something. And like a hundred people got it instantly, like within an hour. And we were like, well, so we, we we're only going to do that for like an hour, but we thought it would get like three or four sales. Right. But then we switched it to like 50%, right? Where for just an early release is like a launch for people. And then we sold a bunch. We made like 500 bucks the first day, which doesn't sound like a lot, but. But no, it's a lot for, for, for going from giving things away for free, people not knowing that this isn't like a well-established brand. You know? Yeah, there's no establishment except yeah. the free stuff. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't like, you know, some famous filmmaker putting out uh, a pack of, of sounds. You know, this is just a random person doing this because they feel like they needed it. Exactly, exactly. Which is honestly crazy because we were like, okay, well, we'll make this our muse, which we learned from the 4-Hour Workweek, right? It's like we can do stuff that we want to do, make films, have an excuse to do all that. Right. We can give out all this free stuff and help a bunch of filmmakers. And symbiotically, we could just make money from some of that. And the money we'll make is just a fraction of all the value we're giving away should be a lot. But I was only aiming for like $5,000 a month autonomously. That's like, that was my goal after one year from January. Yeah. Six months in, we launched a product. We made 500 bucks that first day. Then we launched with no film school like... We did uh, like a giveaway and we gave thousands of copies away for free mm. of a paid product, which most people would be way too nervous to do. Right. But it's like a $40 pack. We're like, let's just give them away for free to as many people as we can in a short time frame. So people could try it out. They could see it. If they like it, they'll want to tell their friends about it. They'll want to tell the other people they work with about it. And they did. And that Friday, we made like a thousand bucks in a day. Wow. And then we started making like in like a thousand dollars a day every day wow and then we started making like two thousand dollars a day every day and then we started making like three thousand dollars a day every day and then we like hit a hundred thousand dollar month and we were like this is crazy so the five thousand dollars i was trying to get to in six months i ended up getting like six times that and a few months later i ended up getting like 20 times that wow and so i just blew past the goal and it was just such a small part of like everything that we were doing for people, it was crazy that we made that much money off it. And then so we just kept the same thing. We didn't change it. We were like, let's give away as much stuff as we can for free. And then the stuff we pay for, people will know like if the free stuff is as good, the paid the stuff would be yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did and people loved it. And then they just kept getting more and more stuff. Film products just kept growing from there. That's interesting because a lot of filmmakers, I'd say the majority of filmmakers can't figure out how to make money filmmaking to monetize how to monetize their talent how to monetize but they're artists yeah exactly and and artists artists just don't think that way we're thinking okay i made the product here it is yeah like the whole the best product sells itself type of thing Mm -hmm. but like you can compose the greatest symphony of all time but if no one ever hears it right you know what i'm saying so i'm like all right how about you compose the greatest symphony of all time and then you get as many people as you can to hear it. Like, where's the downside? Right. You obviously make this stuff for yourself and for other people. And a lot of people have this weird black and white fallacy, this weird binary thing where they're like, well, if you care about art, you can't care about business. If you care about business, you can't care about art. Yeah. When it just doesn't make any sense. Like, you can equally care about art and business. A thousand percent. That even if you don't care about business, if you care about art enough, you want to do business so you can make more art. Mm. So there's no reason to ignore the business aspect. It's like, if you really want to do more stuff, then you should be putting as much, you should be taking every advantage you can to do what you want. 
And if you ask most filmmakers, it's like, what's your dream that you want to do? If they say, I want to shoot a feature film movie with a hundred million dollar budget. Right. It's like, okay, well then you need a hundred million dollar budget. So you're saying you don't want your dream because you don't want to care about business. It's like, you're just handicapping yourself for no reason. And I wish artists could see that because even the great artists in history, like Da Vinci, his biggest problem, he was like, he's unquestionably, even at the time, they knew he was the greatest artist on earth. Mm -hmm. But he's like, man, I just want people to leave me alone so I can go make art. Well, if you get, finally, he got this king who just gave him all the money he needed and left him alone and protected him from everybody who was like trying to stop him from doing what he wanted. And once he got that, he's like, this is life right here. And so I just want everyone to be able to set that up for themselves. Be Da Vinci, get your circumstances that you want so that you can make all the things that you want. And the way to do that is just to make money off of it. Okay. Well, how how would you, how would you uh, uh, say I'm a new filmmaker? I'm trying to, not even a new filmmaker. I'm a filmmaker who hasn't been able to monetize. How would you, what would you tell me Mm -hmm. to do to make money off of this so that I can be able to make more of the thing that I love? Right, right. Well, luckily monetizing easier is easier now than ever before in history. It sure as hell is, Jerry. (laughs) You don't have to have some, you don't have to have the church uh, pay you to paint a mural of like some religious painting right? and you get paid that way only on commission. And if you don't finish it, then, you know, you have a huge problem on your hands. You don't have to do that. Now you can monetize with brands, with sponsors, you can sell things, you can make content. So it really just depends on what stuff you like the most. So I always ask people like, what is the area of filmmaking or art that you care about the most? If you really love teaching people like you do, yeah. Obviously, podcast is a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. Video essays is a great way to do it. Making content where you teach people about filmmaking. Video essays and breakdowns or tutorials, whatever it is you want to do, that stuff's easy because a ton of people find a lot of value in that and right. are willing to watch it. And the attention alone is worth money. Every time someone watches you, it's like they're putting like a penny into a little jar mm-hmm. and those build up. So if you get a lot of attention with just a slight tweak, you will make a lot of money off of it. So Content's a great way. Another way is just to make things that you sell, right? Mm. Doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you would want, make that thing and then sell it. And it seems so easy. It's kind of like, it sounds like it's a cop-out answer, but it's like, if you really want a lens that can be a cinema lens, but can also do effects, then make that lens and sell it. And people will want that too. You're not the only person on earth who wants that. I'm going to stop us right here. (laughs) You do not know how to make a lens. Don't listen to him. Don't go out here trying to make camera lenses. Make something that you know how to make. Don't pull a lens out of your ass. I'm joking. If you, if no, no it's true. No, but if you, if you, there is a guy who made those lenses. Like every lens you have in here, yeah, somebody made that stuff. No, yeah, so it may not be the person who's watching, but one guy's like dedicates his life to lenses, and maybe he is the guy who can make the perfect lens. Here, here's the thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna expand on that a little bit. You have to learn everything that you can learn about the thing that you love in order to be able to reproduce it. I can, I can tell you, I've read books. There's a, there's a textbook over here that's over a thousand pages about camera lenses. And I can tell you how camera lenses work inside and out, how, you know, a zoom lens works versus a prime versus an anamorphic lens versus, you know, I can tell you what the lens coatings will do the, that changes the fact the the, 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 the temperature, the color temperature, the, te- the texture, the contrast, all of that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't put put a lens together, but I have a very good basis to start to know how to put things together. You know right. what I mean? Exactly. You know 
music, you know VFX, you know all of these things, and you were doing them before you knew how to create them to sell to other people. Exactly. You know, so you have to learn all of these things first. You know, you can't you can't sell somebody something that you don't know. So you have to really go deep into that 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 well of knowledge and really dedicate your time and energy into learning that in order to be able to monetize it. It th- that's true, but there's actually a secret that a lot of people don't know. You can sell things you don't know. You just can't sell them as if you know them. So a perfect example mm. is documenting things. Well, you know your own experience. Mm. So if you document your own experience, you don't have to be good. If you're like, I want to be a uh, world-renowned director, mm. you're not a world-renowned director, but you are a person who wants to be a world-renowned director. So if you make content not of how to be a world-renowned director, but of me trying to be a world-renowned director. Watch my journey of how I became, I went from nobody to wow. Exactly. Totally authentic, 100% true. Everything you're saying is accurate because it's about you. You're not speaking from a place of expertise except expertise on yourself. You're speaking literally from a first person of like, I don't know if this is going to work for you, but this is what I'm doing. That is a, that is so a fantastic idea for a any kind of video series. Just start where you are. Start where you are. Wow. So you could say, okay, let, let's say you're a screenwriter and you want to get into screenwriting. Most people would just write a screenplay and try to get someone to read it and hope that they get discovered. Right. That's a very lame way to try to hope that someone opens a door for you and you're kind of just a wish and a prayer. It could happen, but there's a much better way to be a screenwriter, right? Mm-hmm. You start writing stuff all the time, come obsessed with writing, just like as if you were doing it the other way. Mm. The only difference is you talk about your obsession with writing. You say, hey, I learned this thing from Aaron Sorkin. You don't say it's your advice on how to do the thing. You say, well, I don't know how to be a great screenwriter, but Aaron Sorkin said this, and that really helped me. Mm. So maybe it'll help you. That's, that's And guess what? Now you're making content. Now you're monetizing, and you're helping people at the same time. It's symbiotic, right? You're not just taking from people, right? You're helping people and you're getting help to return. So it's symbiotic. And you want all the things you do to be symbiotic when possible. You don't want to be extracting value from people. You want to be helping them a bunch and then you will get help, capture some of that. You'll be helped in the process. Hmm. That's, I don't think you guys just realized, but he just gave you a complete breakdown of how to, not to, not how to instantly go viral, not how to instantly gain a following or or whatever, but he gave you a blueprint on how to move forward and begin to monetize what you're doing. That is brilliant. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people need that because a lot of people get stuck. Like me, if I could just sit in my room all day as a kid and just draw all day, mm-hmm. that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. But then you have to go to school and people are trying to get you to do this and that. So if you want to do more of the thing you want, you want to buy enough freedom to be able to do that. Money is just a tool. It's neutral. It's not good or bad. You could use it for whatever you want. It's just a form of leverage. It's a lever you can pull. And if you could say, okay, well, I have a full-time job that I hate and I'm doing something I don't like and I want to do filmmaking on the side, but I only have a few hours a day to do that between everything else I'm doing. Well, if you monetize something, then you can buy back all that time of the full-time job. Right. And now instead of four hours a day doing the thing you love, you can spend 12 hours a day. Right. 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 And people are thinking about it all wrong. They're not thinking about it as a way to help you do what you want. They're thinking about it as some necessary evil. But it's not like, how is like getting your dreams a necessary evil? It's not. It's not. And, 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 and people are going to, people are going to gloss over the part where, 
you were working hard at these things for years and they're going to listen to the part where you went viral with your first video that you know national geographic and everybody oh yeah they're gonna they're gonna hear the part that you 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 know did 500 in a day and then a thousand in a day yeah this man was working for a very (laughs) long time and failing not failing failing is not even a a good word but not succeeding but not succeeding not 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 succeeding nowhere near the level that you are now and the level that you are now is nowhere near the level that you're going to be in five, 10 years from now. Definitely. I mean, that though it, the people, people see the explosion of popularity. And I think, you know, when you have something like a film crux that is so popular, that has, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers on, you know, every social media platform that has, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that come to your web- website for resources they don't look at all of the hard work that you did to get to that point, and they think it was an overnight thing. They think you posted one thing and then blew up. It exploded. No, I, that was not my first video. I'd done hundreds of videos, right? And they're all terrible. Like even when I was making music, you make like you know I've probably made a thousand songs that are awful yeah. before you start making like any that are good. Yeah, people only see the one because that's the only one good one. That's, that's what I you know. It's about business. Jeff Bezos says in business, which applies to anybody in filmmaking or any creative business, just the same way it does for non-creative businesses. In baseball, if you bat a run in, you can only at most get four runs batted in, right? right. Bases loaded, right? But in business, if you hit a home run, you can get a thousand runs batted in. Mm-hmm. So in business, you really should swing for the fences all the time. And people don't see, they don't really care about all the misses you got. Who cares if you missed a hundred times and then you got a thousand runs batted in? Nobody cares. You won. It's like catching. It's like catching the snitch in Quidditch. Right. Game's over. Right. All that other running around is useless. So I try to tell people, it's like all you have to do is figure out the thing that you're obsessed with already. The thing, like Naval says, that looks like feels like play to you, but looks like work to others. Mm. Then it doesn't. You don't have to think about it struggling all the time. Mm. Whatever the thing is that you're doing all the time, you get off work and you can't wait to do. That's the thing. Now, if you don't have a thing like that, then you need to go live more and try right. more stuff. But once you have that thing, that's the thing to do. Then it's e- easy to monetize that stuff. You know, you're already obsessed. Some guy is the world's leading expert on Star Wars side characters. That guy can make a YouTube channel about that. Yeah. Or a podcast about I, that. I've seen those YouTube channels and, and, and they do blow up like that. It all, all of the work, all of the, whatever interest you have, you can monetize. That, exactly. That's the crazy thing. People, people whatever if if you're if you're interested in it's so it's so crazy because 20 years ago somebody obsessed with video games would have been looked at as you know a deadbeat like you're you're going nowhere in life now we have entire leagues that play that pay people millions of dollars to play video games like whatever your obsession is it's especially today you can make money off of exactly i know people who are professional gamers i know other people who are professional game level level but they don't monetize it I'm like, if you just turn on a stream, right. like a Twitch stream, you, you're you one of the best Street Fighter players in America or one of the mm. best. Like, I know people who are like, man, you're like the best at League of Legends games I don't even play. And I'm like, man, if you just turn on the Twitch stream, you would be helping all the people who play with your character or your play style. So it's like almost like you're doing a disservice at the same time. It's like, imagine you have all this expert knowledge on a thing. People want to know that stuff and you're just not telling them. Yeah. You have all this ability to make something. People want that stuff and you're just not giving it to them. No, exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's almost sort of selfish, but people don't think about it like that. 
people think of, people have this mistaken idea of how money works. They think money works in which someone has some money and you got to take it from that person right. and they lose something and that's it. But that's not how it works. If I make like a sound pack, Singularity's $40. Yeah. I made it out of thin air, yeah. right? It's like just effort, right? I'm just putting in my sweat equity. There's no actual money being associated with it. So that's $40 out of thin air. But it's not just $40. If someone buys that, they're giving me $40. They're getting that $40 worth of value in Singularity. So now there's $80 where previously there was only their $40. Mm. So $40 new of value has just been created. Now, because it's a digital product, if we, like we did, if you sell tens of thousands of copies of that, imagine how much new value is created. You're not taking any money from anyone. You're creating new value out of thin air. Right. There, the, there, there was a point where there was no dollars, right? And now there's trillions of dollars. Right. That's just going to keep going based on the people who create new value. If you create something that people want to pay you for, that's good because you're creating value out of out of nothing. You're literally making money. And that that goes that goes into the idea that there's only so many spaces out here for people to be successful when that is just that's a big load of shit. Yeah, you know, that's totally not true. It's so much room for everybody to be successful because you can in your own way go directly to the people that are interested in whatever it is that you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. Like that changes everything when when you created, when you, you knew because you were a filmmaker that there were other filmmakers that needed the same thing as you. Exactly. That, that wasn't there. You know, I'm sure other people had done it before or, or, or were doing something similar, but there was obviously a big gap in the market for you to come and, and do what you do. Exactly. Like even you would think with sound packs, it seems obvious, like every movie you have ever seen for the most part until since the silent era has sounds in them. Yeah. And no one was really selling sounds. Right. Just like there was like medium high end sounds that were expensive. Mm -hmm. or there, there was like only like Lens Distortions was like the only other company that had any sounds. That's not even their main focus. That was it. Right. No one was really selling sound design that was good. And I was like, why don't I make something that should sell for $400, but I'm just going to sell it for $40. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do the Tesla thing where a Tesla should cost 10 times what it costs you sell it for 10 times cheaper. Mm -hmm. Then there's no question that everyone who gets it, who has common sense is going to be like, man, this is definitely worth the $40 I paid. And then it's going to help them tremendously. And then that created trust in what you guys were doing. You know? Right, right. That, people undervalue that. Right. Like trust trust is way more valuable than than uh, having something be successful right out the gate. You know, is that, I say this all the time. Love them or hate them, whether you use Apple products or not, Apple has built a level of trust in their customer base to the point where they don't want to leave, even if they put out a bad product, you know? Oh, yeah. Exactly. And and Apple has put out bad products, but because that level of trust, because they've put out so many good products, so much, uh, so, so much brand equity has been put into just making good things that people feel attached to, that people feel is a part of their everyday lives, we trust them. Taking us to movies, Pixar. Perfect example. Is, I'm sorry, I had brain fart. No, Pixar. No, that's a perfect. <laughs> Pixar has created a trust in their audience, and you know, they, people are saying that Pixar is having a downturn right now. But I guarantee you, if Pixar puts out a good movie tomorrow, everybody will go see it because we have trusted them, and they have not let us down from Toy Story to Finding Nemo to The Incredibles to 
Rap tattoo, bugs, everything, all of these things, they have, they have built 20 years worth of trust in us so that whatever they put out, we're just like, I don't even know what that's about, but I'll go see it. Exactly. Chris Nolan just put out Oppenheimer. Nobody, I mean, I'm sure there are history buffs that care about Oppenheimer or science or science nerd. That's kind of it. The average person did not know really much about Oppenheimer. Or or even care that much. Right, right. But Chris Nolan has also built a brand of trust in him and his movies. All of the movies, you know, The Dark Knight, we trust him to put out a good good movie. We saw The Dark Knight. We felt special watching watching it. And now we know that he's going to do something to blow our minds. Interstellar. Inception. Uh, Inception, going even further back with uh, insomnia and, uh, and the, like, prestige. the prestige, you know, it's it, like all of these things create trust with your audience. And that's way more important. And I'm, I'm, I'm naming things that are obviously monetized, but. Mm. But they create so much value. They, 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 yeah, they have so much value, but you don't have to monetize in order to create trust. Like you, you, you don't have to monetize immediately, I should say, because your goal is always to make money doing what you love so that you can continue to do what you love and do more do more what you love but the way to do that is always to build trust in the audience that you're trying to get to you know whatever audience that may be which is simple but it's not easy all you have to do it's interesting that you mentioned as your first two examples apple and pixar who both happen to be started by steve jobs yeah and he knew the one thing that still most people most companies don't get you make great products. Mm-hmm. That's literally it. That's it. That's the secret sauce. That's it. That's even the best marketing you can do. If your product is good enough, Elon Musk talked about this. He said people don't talk, go to parties and talk about products they like. They go to parties and they talk about stuff that they love or they hate. Right. So you want to make something that people love so they talk about it in parties, so they tell their friends, so they send someone a text, so they literally rave about your thing because still to this day, word of mouth is the most powerful form of market share. Sure and if you go and you just do what Steve Jobs obviously gets, you make Toy Story and then A Bug's Life. And then, you know, you just make Finding Nemo and mm-hmm. you just keep hitting Monsters, Inc. You just keep hitting it with amazing thing after amazing thing. It builds a reputation. No one expects you to be perfect, right? We don't trust that Apple's going to be perfect. Nope. Everything that they put out is going to be the best thing they ever put out. That's unrealistic. Right. We just trust that Apple's going to be good enough and so good that if we just hang in there with Apple, whether they make a dope product or not, that it's going to be way better for people who like that kind of thing right. and have established that trust with them. And you could do that with anyone. It could be your audience. It could be by helping them with anything, free stuff. It doesn't matter what niche you're in. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. All you do is do really good stuff, the best thing you can do. And that's all it is, right? And you just keep repeating. You just rinse and repeat. There's no other steps to it. No, yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. When you fail, and if you fail big... This is why you should always, you should always swing for the fences, like you were saying. Because if you fail and you fail big, that also brings attention to what you're doing. Exactly. You know, it's true. Think of think of um, when Tesla was announcing the Cybertruck, and exactly. the, the 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 glass uh, the windows were supposed to be uh, shatterproof, and Elon Musk threw the ball at the window and it shattered. That obviously wasn't supposed to happen, but it got everybody talking about Tesla. Exactly. And looking into what they're going to do next to see, you know, I put out a video once and in, 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 in the, in the, um, the captions it had, I just auto-generated the captions and there were just like misspellings and weird words that they thought I was saying. And half of my comments were, this video got like 700,000 views. Half of my comments were talking about that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, but, you know. 
Some people would see that as a failure. I see that as, you know, 50,000 people <laughs> watch my video who weren't going to, who weren't going to, you right. know, that, that's a, that's a form of, of currency too. And now there are people that if you, if you continue to have whatever product, whatever content, whatever thing you're putting out, if you have a bad catalog of good stuff, the one that you failed that big, which may be the biggest thing that ever happened to you, people will come watch and then somebody's going to be curious to see what else you have. Exactly. And also failures don't matter. People think that if I fail at this video, like no one's going to come to your house and throw yeah. you in the gulag. Nobody video cares. Such. Nobody cares. People Nobody think cares. people are thinking about you way more than they're actually thinking right. about you. Some passing snide remark is not going to hurt you. It's right. not going to kill you. It's, it's fine. And if people just realize like, don't worry about failing so much. You kind of only lose when you quit. Right. Like if you don't quit, then you don't really fail. You're just learning until you win. Yeah. Right. It's like if your goal is to reach X, then as long as you don't quit before you reach X, you haven't failed yet. Right. There are, there are very few people who wanted to be successful at something who failed at it. There are a bunch of people who wanted to be successful at it who quit. Exactly. Because That's they everybody failed. who fails exactly. quits. They quit. It's voluntary. They quit. It's like, it's not like, right. you know, like, oh, you're trying to be a filmmaker and you literally failed at being a filmmaker because there's nothing to it. You pick up a camera, you start shooting. You're still, you're still making movies, whether if it's, whether it's at the level you want to or not, you're still doing it. And the people that don't make it to the level of, you know, being these huge names are the people that quit. Yeah, they're the people who quit trying. They, they quit trying. There, there, there are people that, you know, get famous at 60 years old for doing something that they've been doing since they were 20. You yeah. know, that's a 40-year gap where they were, quote unquote, failing and not progressing to the to the level that they wanted to be at. But they got there eventually. Yeah, you know? Morgan Freeman and Samuel Jackson. Yeah. like exactly like i think they're they're like in their 40s when they had any like big roles i think i think morgan freeman morgan freeman was doing like small things like the electric company and yeah yeah you know but it wasn't but when they really hit morgan freeman had gray hair by the time we all knew him as a household i just assumed he was born an old man that's why that's that's exactly (laughs) why everybody thinks that morgan freeman was born an old man because we were introduced to him as an old man unless you knew him from back in the electric company days which i don't i only know that because my mother told me (laughs) <laughs> right. I didn't exactly. watch Electric Company. I don't even know if that was on TV when I was a kid. Exactly. But like that, that like you, you know, you have these little things. You see, you see, you know, like famous actors all the time that were doing little tiny commercials for like 15 years, and then one day they blew up, and you think it happened overnight. Like no, they were doing really shitty work. You know, going paycheck to paycheck before they actually made a name for themselves. Exactly. Forever. People don't understand that. Like. That stuff doesn't matter. I always use the example of National Geographic. If you go and buy a National Geographic issue, the cover of that looks insane. Mm-hmm. But you only see the cover. You don't see the 9,999 terrible photos it took to mm-hmm. get that one shot of that lion in an impossible pose. That's a, the wow. Photo of the year in Time Magazine. That, and that, right. that, that speaks volumes. I think that's a great example because I'm a filmmaker and a photographer and you know people praise me for a lot of the photography that I put out. But they didn't see all of the bad pictures. Yeah, you know they don't matter. They don't matter. They don't matter. The sketches don't matter. matter. Everything you erased doesn't matter. Everything you threw out doesn't matter. All the things you didn't release don't matter. Right. And people are nervous to do something because they're worried it's not going to be good. It's like it should not be good. It should. If everything you made was good, then you're not taking enough risks. Right. There. I'm a writer too, and and yeah, I'm one of the things that I've noticed in my writing is like a good ninety ninety five percent of everything I write is shit. It's dog shit. 
like, and I would never <laughs> show anybody, but the really good writers and, and you know, I'm, I'm not the first to say this, but the really good writers know the difference between the stuff that is crap and the stuff that is gold. Exactly. And they're just constantly mining for gold. You know? Exactly. But you have to write enough stuff to find any gold. Mm -hmm. Imagine if it took you a thousand pages to find 10 pages of gold. Yeah. But you only wrote 10 pages. Mm. Well, then you might find no gold. You might be like, I'm a bad writer. I'm a bad writer. I only write a hundred pages and all. And I'm no, it's that you quit. You quit. It's the same thing for everybody across the board in every niche. Yes. And I'll, there's a problem. This is a phenomenon a lot in American culture. We have it so good. So we have the liberty of quitting at things. Mm. You could start something. Uh, I quit. Right. You start something else. I quit. And it's fine if you quit because you don't like the thing. You're not genuinely interested. Right. But don't quit because you're not good yet. Right. You should not be good. Don't quit because you're not good. Don't quit because you're not getting the results that you want to see. And that's especially bad for filmmakers because filmmaking and the art, you might have amazing taste because you grew up watching films. Right. You watch films all the time. You might have been a cinephile first, but then you want to go to make a film. And then you, like Tarantino, you make your first film and it's garbage right and you're like okay well this is not what i wanted to make mm -hmm. but the process of trying to make that is your you so much school yeah, right it taught you so much and your taste doesn't match your skill yet right and so it's frustrating and what you have to do i learned this from i forgot who was explaining this is you just have to keep working until your skill matches your taste mm. once that happens then it's so much fun to do any art right and people quit before they get to that point. and then going beyond that once your skill matches your taste sometimes your taste and skill level are too advanced for people to comprehend at the moment you know that's true you know how many people are so ahead of the curve even 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 people there there are people that are big names that are so ahead of the curve that Everybody doesn't understand it yet. You yeah, know? yeah. Some, even the biggest people like Christopher Nolan, right. who has a huge audience, he makes stuff all the time that has so many layers that people don't get. Right. You know? Right. It's just anything different, people will shun. Yeah. That's just, that's just human nature. We don't understand it yet. Yeah. You know? And it's because everyone doesn't have as good taste as you. Right? Exactly. It's like you that's can't a fact. Gordon Ramsay and then expect everyone who eats at McDonald's every day to have the same level of taste as you in that's food. That's a fact. You know, I don't know anything about wine. So it'd be weird to, for a sommelier to think I should be appreciating mm -hmm. wine just as much as them. It's, it makes sense that sometimes you just make stuff for other sommeliers. But at the same time, there are people, if you think that way, if you think it's good, if you like it, if you if it's a product that you would use, if it's a film that you would watch, if it's music that you would listen to, whatever it is that you do, if you like it, there is somebody else out there that will. That's you have exactly to right. keep going until you find that somebody else. And once you find that somebody else, they're going to tell somebody else. And people don't tend to like things until somebody else tells them to like it. That's true. There's, There's only a certain kind of person who right. likes it on their own. Exactly. Everybody else gets told what to like. Exactly. There's huge swaths of people. The vast majority of people don't like anything until somebody tells them they like it. Yeah. So finding those people that will like your stuff just based on their own taste and that connect with you and have the same kind of mentality, same taste, same ideologies as you that's like, th those are the core group of people that are going to follow you wherever you go. Yeah, those are your first thousand true fans. That's those your, your first cut. thousand true fans. And marketers figured this out a long time ago. Those people who need everyone else to tell them what to like, there's words for that in marketing. It's called the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. Mm -hmm. And basically what you have in the very beginning is the innovators. Those are the Steve Jobses. Those are the Elon Musk. 
in filmmaking. It's yeah. the Christopher Nolans or it's the James Camerons. Those are the innovators. After the innovators innovate, then behind them, there's the early adopters. Right. Those are those people who are the got an iPhone when it was the 3GS. Mm -hmm. They're the first people in line for some overpriced product that no one else is going to get just because mm -hmm. they love the thing. They want to do it. They find fun in finding new things. Those That group tells everybody else. After the innovators and early adopters, they put all the early majority on. The, and then the early majority, right. once enough people do it, the late majority only do it out of peer pressure. And then the late majority only do it because they don't want to be left out or because yeah. it's uncomfortable to not do it. And then the laggards only do it because they have no other option. Like you might have a mom or like a grandma who only got a smartphone right. when they stopped offering non-smartphones. Yeah. That's that person, right? That the laggard's a person who doesn't change unless change is forced onto them. Right. You know? But you don't have to worry about all them. Just find your early adopters for your thing. And that's more than enough people. They'll do all the rest of the work for you. They'll do the work for you. Yeah. That's a With great them over. Yeah. Focus on the people who are your true fans. Be their favorite person. Make their favorite thing. Yeah. And it will take off from there. So to put it in, in in modern terminology, it's the algorithm. Once you get, you know, a thousand people to watch something, then the algorithm is going to automatically send it out to more people. You know, it's just, it's exactly. just like that. It's, it's literally like that, except it's word, word of mouth. You know, people, you tell a thousand people and you, you have a thousand people buy into something, then they're automatically going to tell other people. Exactly. Even yeah. if only a quarter of those people tell other people, that's, you know, 250 more people exactly. added to your thing. And that, you know, keeps growing and growing and growing and it will it'll fluctuate in speed and time and everything like that but it'll keep going and you know that because you make content all the time and content yeah. creators figured this out early yes. right we like uh we made a video for film crux talking about this animated show from france called last man and most people in america have not seen last man and when we made it it went crazy because those early adopters, the people mm -hmm. who had already saw Last Man, mm -hmm. they jumped into the comments and they were like, this is the greatest show ever. Right. And they told all the other people who were like, I never heard of the show. And they all started watching it and it went crazy. Right. And I got like 2.2 million views on Instagram just from us telling people about a show that had already been out for like five years. Yeah. And that's how everything spreads. You find something great, you tell someone, and then it'll go from there. You can't underestimate passion. Passion... The, 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 the internet is full of passionate people and it's a loud minority. Every opinion that you hear on the internet is a loud minority that is expressing that opinion. It just seems like a lot of people because they're extremely passionate about it. Exactly. exactly. And, and their passion pushes their ideas, their feelings, whatever they like, whatever they don't like to other people so i you know there 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 are shows that i was never aware of but somebody was so passionate about it that i was like well maybe i should watch it like, <laughs> exactly. like it, it, we're, we're all we're all like that even even the 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 individualist and the the free thinkers we all have that you know to an extent we all have that oh you said it's good well, okay well maybe i should you know what is good people that we trust people that we care about people that we you know People that annoy us to the point where you're like, all right, let me check this thing out. Exactly. Know? And we're glad that we have that. Like even like early adopters and innovators don't discover everything themselves. Right. They're just really good also at being around other early adopters and innovators who right. put them on the stuff. Yeah. So they find things and they find other people who put them on the things. You want to do both. You want to surround yourself with, even if you're not an early adopter or innovator, 
You want to be around people who are, who can tell you what things might interest you. Yeah. And we naturally do this. Everybody has a friend who puts them on one of their favorite TV shows or exactly. their favorite place, restaurants to mm-hmm. go eat. That's what influencers are. Right. Influencers are just people who put you on to stuff. They just do it at a, at a larger scale. You, we all have influence, influencers in our lives and we're all influencers on someone else. You know, Anybody yeah. that has a group of friends or a group of family or anybody that you can express an idea or an opinion to, you're an influencer on them. Exactly. Know? And, and they're influencers on you. Exactly. And if you just do that to a larger and larger scale and capture a small part of that value, then you will make a lot of money and you can influence more people to put them on the things that they love. Right. Like how much would you pay for someone to tell you about all your favorite movies, your top 100 movies, let's say you didn't know them, mm-hmm. how much would you pay someone to give you a list of what would end up being your 100 favorite movies? Oh, I mean, if, if knowing what my favorite 100 movies is, I would, <laughs> I would pay a lot for that because, you know, I love them, you know. But Exactly. And that amount of value, right. some, it was created, right? right? Someone made all those movies. Somebody told you about those movies mm-hmm. or made a trailer for you to see those movies. Yeah, I, I heard about them. it somehow. Exactly. And so people underestimate how important that is, especially since nowadays attention is the new currency. Right. So you want, like, there's a law of power, court attention at all costs. Right. Like, they've been doing that for thousands of years. Right. And now that attention's a currency, people still aren't taking that seriously. That's why famous people are so much, I wouldn't say more powerful, but... They're so much more powerful than rich people. You know, being wealthy, totally. being wealthy is not as big of a currency as being famous. You have, if you have the, the, the ability to influence millions with what you do, what you, what you say, what you wear, that changes people's lives, you know? Exactly. People become obsessed with that. People, people, uh, I, I'll use Taylor Swift for an example because she has, you know, probably the largest fan base in music right now. People are less, even though they love her music, mm-hmm. they're way less obsessed with her music than they are her. Exactly. The cult, she has a cult of personality around herself that people are drawn to, you know, to the point where if they, if she says, wear this yellow dress, that yellow dress is going to sell out, you know? Exactly. There's a principle I call gravity, and it's basically how much pull you have towards yourself, or brands can also have gravity. Right. And so- what you want to do if you want to make money from something or you want to have extra leverage is you want to get as much gravity into a thing as possible. Mm-hmm. And this is how valuable gravity is, fame is for people. You wouldn't think people have this inherent negative connotation towards fame, like you shouldn't try to be famous. But think about it. Martin Luther King is famous. Mm-hmm. Like we all know, especially in America, who Martin Luther King is. Right. There's a 0% chance he would have had as much of an impact 0%. if he was not as famous. So it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Yep. Fame and money and all these different tools, they're just tools. They're neutral. They're not good or bad. Yep. How you use them is good or bad. Like right. a hammer. You can build a house or you can kill someone with it. Yeah. All you want to do is get a hammer and build a house with it. But you don't want to not have hammers right. because you saw a person kill someone with a hammer one time. Get a hammer and build a house with it. And if you can create gravity around yourself or around your brand, and then you can use that to do whatever you want. It doesn't matter if it's making a film helping people, if you want to do philanthropy, if you want to invent something, if you want to teach people something, if you just want to connect with other people who like the same stuff you do, all that's easier and better and to a higher degree, the more gravity you have. And so fame, Martin Luther King was not rich, but he was famous. He was famous. And so fame is a great way to get a lever to do things. If you become a famous filmmaker, not for even making big Hollywood films, 
guess how easy it is going to be for you right. to be able to make a Hollywood right. film or any kind of film that you want. And here's the thing that for, for, for people that are concerned about money, fame is, you use Martin Luther King as an example and how he wasn't rich. But nowadays, if you're famous, you can monetize it. Yeah, you can just monetize your just your fame. People follow people for being themselves. For the people watch people. The 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 stupid uh, and I say stupid because I don't like them. That doesn't mean they they don't have value. But the stupid watch me get ready videos. Like why am I watching you put on clothes <laughs> and makeup? Like who gives a shit what you're? But people follow that so religiously mm-hmm. to the point where you're watching the same person put on clothes and put on makeup every single day. You exactly. Know, that's currency. That, that's currency. fame. Is, and then you can monetize that. You can say, okay, I'm wearing I'm wearing this Nike sweatshirt. Nike, you pay me to wear this Nike sweatshirt to show my millions of followers that I'm wearing your brand. Maybe they'll go out and buy your brand, you know, or Exactly. You know, I like this movie. You pay me to say that I like this movie or to talk about your movie and maybe my followers will go watch that. You know, that's exactly that's like, currency. Filmcrafts has the biggest filmmaking newsletter in the world we have like almost a half a million subscribers now like we literally get like 300 new subscribers every day wow and without doing anything and they we keep it gets bigger and bigger and now that more people know it it gets bigger even faster wow and so how valuable do you think it is for a brand who does makes filmmaking gear or camera gear or anything in filmmaking or a movie company that's advertising movies like if you're a24 and you want someone to see the new a24 movie how valuable would it be for a company like that to get in front of half a million self-selected filmmakers and cinephiles yeah. and video editors? Yeah. It's so valuable to people. Yeah. And people underestimate that value. I think they think they have nothing to offer, but whatever you're passionate about, you are automatically going to have a bunch of knowledge about right. it. And so that is what you have to offer. I tell people this all the time. It is easy to go viral. And I say that because I've done it before. For somebody who hasn't done it before, it may be the hardest thing on the in, in the world to do. But once you figure it out, it's easy. Yeah, it's easy. It's so easy. Like you have to um before you learned how to walk, it probably was hard, right? Exactly. And then when you when you did it one time, you were able to do it again, and then you were able to do it better, and then you were running, and you know, it, it just takes one time for you to figure it out. And then you just keep building on what you already did. Exactly. And you have to just keep going, keep trying, keep at it, you know? And this is this is coming from a person that is has had big successes and big failures and had big failures right after big successes. You know, it's 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 a constant battle to continue to go. But every time you continue to go, you learn something and it becomes a little bit easier to get to that point again. It becomes a little bit easier to 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 put like for for filmmaking you know you didn't know how to compose an image when you start started filmmaking you didn't know how to how to if if you're if you're if you're a musician you didn't know how to play the guitar the first time you picked up a, a guitar but i still don't but yeah <laughs> i couldn't play any like i used to play trumpet when i was a kid i played it for like 13 years when i was a kid and you don't start off knowing how to play the trumpet you don't start off knowing how to play the piano or how to produce music or sing or whatever it is you do you, everybody starts at basically zero on everything. Everybody right? starts at zero. And, but people think, ah, that's why I don't like this idea of talent. People misuse the word talent. They're like, oh, we yeah. have this talent. Like it was given to you by some higher power. Right. Like the, like the Greek gods came down and endowed you with some talent that yeah. you did no effort or work to get. And people used to tell me that all the time as a kid. Like, you're so talented. Like you have a gift. 
I was like, well, who gave it to me? Because right. I was in my room uh, for 10 hours a day practicing, practicing, and making practicing. this music or drawing right. these things or whatever. And the same with filmmaking. It's like no one gives you this stuff. Right. And people are hoping it's it's bad for people because they're hoping that talent will fall in their lap yeah. from the heavens or they're hoping or they're just writing it off. Like, well, I don't have the talent, so I can't do the thing. Hey, here's how I always saw talent. Talent is talent and passion are synonyms to me. They're not, they're, there's nothing, there's no difference between talent and passion. The difference between the people that are considered talented is they worked at that to create something with it. You know what I mean? That makes sense. You know, that's smart. Yeah. If I, if I'm, if I'm passionate about, you know, making a shoe, becoming a shoe cobbler, I'm not good at it, but I'm passionate about it. I'm going to sit there for 10 hours and try to figure out how to put a soul to an insole to an outsole to an upper level leather part to, you know, figuring out how to craft a shoe. And my first shoe is going to be shit. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's going to be trash. Maybe your first hundred shoes. Maybe my first thousand shoes. Maybe my first <laughs> hundred thousand shoes right, right, are going right. to be trash. But then when you get to that hundred thousand and one. Oh, man. It, know, it's easy because it's easy. fun. You're like, it's like, I, I, I know, it's this is my Passion is just like, now I'm also really good. Right. So it makes it 10 times easier. to. That's do. what talent is. That's, that's I never heard anyone explain it like that. That's that's just my thought. That's that's literally something that I've always thought of it as because it does, you're right. It doesn't make sense because there are people there are people that are that discover that they're passionate about something way later in life. You know, that's true. Yeah. And then they become really good at it, mm-hmm. not because it was there waiting for them to be good at. It, they mm-hmm. just became passionate about it and put all of their time and energy into learning about it and becoming actually good at it. Exactly, exactly. And most people never get a chance to do that because they just don't try enough stuff. Like if you're at home and you're like, well, I don't have any passions. Yeah. I'm not talented at anything. It's only for one reason. You just don't try enough stuff and you quit too soon. Yeah. If you just try more stuff without quitting, just that one thing, mm-hmm. you literally will find passions and you will be good at them. I was on a date once and uh, a girl called me arrogant because uh, I was I was just saying things that I was, she well, not saying, just saying things that I was good at, but we were talking and I was talking about things that I was passionate about and things that I'm actually good at. And she was like, wow, is there anything you're not good at? And I was like, and I, I, I literally paused <laughs> for a minute and thought about it. And I was like, well, I guess everything that I haven't tried to be good at, you know, exactly. to her, she took that as, I can be good at everything. To me, I took that as, I, I was saying it as, well, I can be good at everything that I try really hard to be good at. Exactly. But what she doesn't know is that everyone can. Every, literally everyone Everyone can. can. And it's not, I was, people get also confused about arrogance. Arrogance is when you think you can do something that you can't do, right? Accuracy is when you think you can do something that you can do. Say it again. So if you say you can do something mm. and you can do it, yep. like Muhammad Ali, People said he was arrogant, but it's like he did all of those things. Right. That's accuracy. If you say you can do the things and then you go in the ring and you get knocked out, then that, then you were arrogant. You were arrogant. Exactly. And, and arrogance you will get you knocked out. That'll Exactly. That, but that is yeah. You know what accuracy at a high level does? It makes you rich and famous and successful right. and the best in your field. Right. But people want you to be like humble, but people don't look up the definition of humble. Like humble's a bad thing. It's basically being unaccurate. Right. You want to be like in Price is Right. You want to be as close as you can to the right number without going without over. going over. And people oftentimes, they think they should undervalue. Well, you don't get on stage mm-hmm. if you're not close to the number. Mm-hmm. And you also don't want to go over because if you go over, you bust, right? right? You don't want to be 
over 21. Nope. You know, if you're playing blackjack, you want to be you want to be 21. 20, 20 is better than 22. Exactly. Exactly. Two is better than 22. Two is better. Than 22. <laughs> Two is better than 22. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't want to bust, but you also don't want to undersell yourself. Right. Because that's also people forget, like, if you come in and you say you could do something amazing, like someone comes to me and they're like, hey, we need you to write this script for this movie. And I say, I could do it. No problem. They're going to feel better if I say that. And it's true. They don't want me to say I can do it and I can't do it. Right. They also don't want me to say I can't do it and I can do it. Right. So you want to be accurate. And people undersell themselves or oversell themselves way too much. Right. And then people also misattribute people who are have a high level of ability. If, if, if uh, you know, the best chess player, if Magnus Carlsen says he's the best chess player in the world, he's not being arrogant. That is an objective fact. Yeah. So people need to stop over yeah. attributing arrogance to everything. Yeah, and right? here's the thing. There are things that you cannot be good at. And it's not because you don't have the ability. It's just because you don't have the passion. You know, the passion. Like, I will never be a good marathon runner because I don't have the passion to wake up every morning and <laughs> go out and run. I don't even know how many miles is in a marathon. I know. Like, too many. Too many. Yeah. Too many goddamn miles in a marathon. I'm not going to do that. I don't have that kind of passion for it. Like, exactly. I, like, I'm just not doing it. So I will never be good at that. Yeah. I, my, I physically have the ability to, just like you physically have the ability to, just like most people without any kind of physical th- disabilities would have the ability to. Even a lot of people with disabilities. Even a lot marathons. of people. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So it's like, yeah, you can run marathons if you want to. And you could get really good, but you're just not interested. It's not like interested. The golf. People were like, hey, have you ever tried golf? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, I'm a black guy with an animal name, so I thought maybe that'd be all right. <laughs> totally wrong. Terrible. <laughs> but I was also not interested. So I'm like, I'm not going to go back and go out there and tee off every day. Right. I don't care. You, you don't know? care enough. But there's a guy who does. Yeah. And he's the best. Yeah. And there's, there's, a, there's another black guy with an animal name who does. <laughs> does yeah. He'll have to hold us down. <laughs> <laughs> you know? No, that's, that's a fact. Okay. So uh, we just went on like a, a tangent that was really amazing. The very first off, if you didn't believe me before, Lion is a genius. <laughs> Lion uh, is literally a genius. He is he's actually and it's it shows with how you are able to analyze and present what you've done in a way that's digestible for people who don't understand. Because I haven't done what you've done. Oh, you know, I appreciate it. And, and you, every time we talk, I I feel like I've come away with more knowledge on how to succeed at something. You know, because you have a higher level of uh, of success than I do, and the reason why you do is because you've you've tried and you haven't quit. This is this is like if you get nothing else from this conversation, that try, keep trying, keep going, don't quit is that thing. You know, it's really just it's. It's it's that that gets you there. Yeah, people quit at like the one yard line. Right. And they don't realize they're like, if you just went one more yard, you would have succeeded. Right. And it's like it's so much worse to do the ninety nine yards mm-hmm. and then quit than to just do the extra yard. Mm-hmm. Since you don't know where the goal line is, you know, if you if you just don't know enough, just keep going. Yeah, you'll hit it eventually. If you were lost in the woods. If you just walk in one direction long enough, you will be out of the woods. Yeah. It's just has to happen. It has to happen. You're not going to be in the woods forever. You know, the only way you're going to be in the woods forever is you quit and you sit down. Exactly. Then you'll be stuck. You'll be lost. But I think another people thing people don't take advantage of is they don't take advantage of the tools. So money is one form of leverage. Gravity or fame is another form of leverage. Another form of leverage is the other tools, like actual tools that people wear. Mm-hmm. People pay a lot of attention to camera gear 
but they don't tend to pay attention to all the other tools filmmakers could use. Mm. And the main one that I think makes them nervous is AI. Mm. I think that is like the single biggest thing that filmmakers are nervous or literally upset or enraged about is AI. And even with the writer's strike right now, I think it makes it even worse. Yeah. And that's a tool just like everything else. It's neutral. It's not good or bad. It's just what you use it for. Right. It, it, it is. It's the way you use it. Here's the thing. If you're having an AI write an entire script for you, then that's not your script. But if you have an AI help you come up with ideas, say you want to make a, uh, a, a, a screenplay about, you know, a PlayStation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You type that in to say chat GPT, say, give me prompts for a screenplay about playstations give me 10 prompts for a screenplay about playstation it'll give you a list of things that you can then build on and create something new that's just inspiration exactly david also people people forget david fincher doesn't write all his own scripts so if you have someone else write a script for you that's not your script either that's true so it's like people overvalue that you have to literally do everything and this is weird because I do everything and you do everything. Like we make everything. You've done every single role you could do on a film set, including yeah. roles that you had to make up for a shoot. I'm sure yeah. you had to do things that is not a job title or I've position. Done things that I should never do again. <laughs> that I, I am not good at. Exactly. But I've done them. Exactly. And I do everything. I make everything. I know how to make all the videos, all the VFX, all the sound, all the music. Yeah. We do everything. And from our perspective, we know that you don't have to do everything. Right. In fact, you probably don't want to do everything. You probably want to do the things that you're passionate about, right. you're interested in, and that you're good at. All the other things outsource them. Mm -hmm. And what people don't understand is that AI is not replacing you, right? There's a there's a robot that can shoot a basketball in the hoop and make it every single time. Mm -hmm. But nobody pays to watch it play. Nope. Uh, I think Gary Kasparov, decades ago, was beat by a computer at chess. No one pays to go to watch a chess tournament between two AI. Mm -hmm. No one's watching AI play chess against each other. Right. There's a thing about people like seeing humans do a thing. That's what makes it impressive. Yeah. You're not as impressed with a screen print of a work of art as you are with a painting mm -hmm. that someone painted. Yeah. So you will never be replaced because a human doing a thing is a lot of what we find value in. Right. It's you know? the, 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 a, a federal judge... Uh, I think it was this week or last week, um, just ruled that a human has to be involved for a piece of art to be copyrighted. And, you know, which is a, a, a big win for people that are are trying to you know, have the, the human stay a part of art. But that's the thing. Like you said, you're not going, you're not paying a million dollars for a poster of the Mona Lisa. Exactly. A million dollars a billion dollars probably yeah. for a, pro a poster <laughs> exactly. of the Mona Lisa. You, you, you pay a billion dollars for the Mona Lisa. Exactly. Because a human did it. Right. Right. A machine, even if it could replicate the Mona Lisa down to each layer of paint, you would still not pay what you would pay for the Mona Lisa. Right. Because a human did it. We, we attract to organic things, uh, which is why we listen to records, which is why we, we, we still shoot on film, which is why people gravitate towards those things because it, it's organic. It's a texture to it. That does not mean that there's no place for the artificial. You know? Exactly. They, exactly. They, they can work in, in tandem together to yeah. do different things. You know, it's just, you have to, I think, I think it has to be done in a way that is both equitable for the human involved, but also that, you know, 
enhances and advances whatever the the human is trying to do. It's going to be something different. People people have a tendency to only think of what is now, right? So if 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 I'm baking a cake, mm-hmm. I can only think of the cake being this thing that has been created before. Mm-hmm. But if I say want to bake a cake and put a pie on top of that cake, people are like, whoa, 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 you can't do that. I'm that hold on now. Wait a minute. <laughs> Take it easy. I would buy that immediately. <laughs> we have we have we we understand we understand the future by the past without realizing that everything that came in the past had to be had to bypass something that came before it yeah it was at once new right right and people people forget like uh that technology is a wave and you either learn to surf or you get crushed by it right and it's not ai that's a wave all technology is a wave all of when we went from silent films you did a video essay about this on instagram for like the movies that changed everything for the series that you do on the conquest instagram Uh and it's genius people don't realize though that this panic came out when we went from silent movies to talkies we don't even call them talkies anymore because right. we can't think of a movie without someone talking. Right. That would be weird. But there were a lot of people in the silent film era who did not make it to the talking film era. And they only didn't make it because they didn't evolve. And if you evolve yourself, you literally could do a hundred times more. Like AI doesn't replace you. It makes you into a superhuman, mm. right? It basically, what you could, people forget. The cameras you have now, like the cameras you're using to film this, mm-hmm. all these cameras are so much more powerful than the cameras back in the day. Yeah. These cameras, the Star Wars Episode One, not the first Star Wars movies, Episode One, but George Lucas shot that on 720p. Yeah. You, the cameras that an average filmmaker has is like eight to 10 to 20 times more powerful than mm-hmm. that. And people are still worried about, like, ah, oh, you know, well, I can't do this thing. It's like, you have your computer is more powerful than the computer that they sent uh, uh, people to the moon with, you know, and your your phone is more powerful than everything that the president had 30 years ago. Everyone's life is better than the life of the richest person on Earth 100 years ago. Yeah. But people don't take advantage of those things. Those things can make you superhuman. They can make you 100 times more efficient. Everything you ever wanted to do, you can now do to a higher degree right. for cheaper. It's like it's it's like steroids in baseball right it's when 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 people were on steroids you know the the barry bonds and all the people that allegedly i'm gonna say were on steroids they were hitting home runs every game they were hitting like five six seven home runs every game you know and that that's what it can do for you it'll change things and yeah except mid-journey is not gonna give you a heart attack you know You know, I'm going to shrink your balls. <laughs> exactly. So it's literally makes you a superhuman. It gives everybody superpowers. Right. And people are complaining about it. It's like now, let's say you're a guy who likes to write, but you don't know how to storyboard. Right. Well, now you can hop into Midjourney and could storyboard your entire screenplay for you. Yeah. Right. You could say what you want and it'll make it for you. It's like you have Jarvis from Iron Man is in your computer on your phone. That ChatGPT has a phone app, right? You have Jarvis on you and you don't want to utilize. Now here's the thing. To be to to play devil's advocate for for the people that are upset about AI. The issue with AI is not that it can replace you as an artist. The issue is that studios, specifically talking about actors and and screenwriters, studios want it to replace you to make it cheaper for them to, to to produce what they're trying to do. But they don't actually want to replace you. They want to replace your labor. Right. Right? So people get them confused with their labor. 
your labor and you are separate entities. Of course. But people talk about it for good reason, like it's the same. But don't think of it like that. Because if they can replace your labor, you can also replace your labor. So you have the same advantage. It's not like you don't have access to MidJourney and you don't have access to ChatGPT and all the people. Like Elon Musk has the same iPhone that I have. Right. So technology is far more dispersed than people think. It's not like if you're 100,000 times richer, your phone is 100,000 times better. The same is the case with AI. I, I agree with that to an extent only because the pay structure wouldn't allow for people to continue their passion in the same way in the same way yeah but that's what technology is it's like if you that's that's well i'm 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 not saying anything i'm not giving my opinion at all on this but i'm saying that's what they're fearing like they're they're fearing the the loss of uh the work you know that they have which makes perfect sense which makes perfect sense but you should always be fearing that you shouldn't wait for ai to do that this is what people don't understand that fear is just from the fear of change our ultimate fear is the fear of unknown that's why people are afraid of death or what any of those things. Once you realize that the fear of unknown is not really a big deal, and that in fact all the best things for you are in the unknown, mm-hmm. just outside of you clear some more fog, you find the best things that ever happened to you. All the person you want to be, the money you want to make, the person you want to be in a relationship with, or the adventure you want to have, it's in the unknown. You play video games and do problems and watch movies for the unknown. That's mm-hmm. the fun part. If you just think about it like that, then you realize that. Yes, it will change, but change is only bad if you don't make it good. And so all technology changes things. There was a time when there were oil lamp lighters going out every night and lighting oil lamps in the city. And then someone invented the light bulb. And then, okay, well, now there's not that anymore. But people aren't crying over all the oil lamp lighters who don't have jobs anymore. We're like, thank God we have lights and electricity. And now people are upset if the Wi-Fi goes out for 30 minutes. They lose their minds. You know what I'm saying? And the same thing's going to happen with AI. People are going to complain about it. And then 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the AI is going to go out for five minutes and people are going to panic. It's, it's going to change our thought, the way we, we process things. You know, there's no stopping it at this point. There's really just no stopping it. Whether you like it or not, there's no stopping it. Yeah. And whether you like it really doesn't matter. It's like, it, it, it kind of doesn't matter because it's here and it's going to stay. And it's going to change the way we do things to the point where we won't recognize how we did things before. Exactly. That our, our children's children are not going to understand how we do, do things before. And that's not just with, you know, filmmaking or art or anything like that. It's everything is going to change, you know. And people who are the most afraid of change are going to be the most afraid of something like right. AI because AI is going to change everything. Right. It's like people say, it's the last invention you ever have to invent. Right. It will change that one thing will change human history more than anything in human history. Imagine, so it's reasonable for people to be afraid of that amount of change if you're not comfortable with that sort of thing. Imagine going on a boat from New York City to London. There's only one boat left that goes from New York City to London. Imagine 100 years ago, I don't know when the airplane was written, 100, 100, 200 years ago. That's how you got across. You would have to get on a boat and go across to, to, to the other side. Now we have airplanes that'll get us there in, you know, however many hours, you know, that's a change that we don't, we, most people can't comprehend being on a boat for three weeks to get across the Atlantic Ocean. Or the Oregon Trail. Right. Like, no one's nostalgic of being on the Oregon Trail. Right. They, they, they're nostalgic of the things they want to keep, but people don't realize you can keep the things you want to keep. 
no one like CDs didn't come out and then everyone banned record players. You can go buy a record player right now. Records outlived CDs. Exactly. So just because things change doesn't mean everything you liked you're as banned. Like we were talking earlier, you and I are both huge nostalgic people, but we're also futurists. Right. We like new stuff and we like old stuff. Yeah. I like records and I like the smell of paper books, but I also like Kindles and iPads and yeah, new Apple. I think, I think they, 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 I think people have to stop separating the old and the new and, and start, you know, you put up, you put your hands together and they can work in tandem with each other to be something different. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. Right. And, and if people just realize like, okay, yes, studios have all these tools to think, to make things, but people aren't realizing how much better that is for you. Any random person can become a studio. Yeah. Like studios cannot pay you to do something. Yeah. They never had to pay you in the first place. People have too much of this entitlement of like, I want to get hired to do a thing and I want to get hired to do the same thing the same way without ever changing or evolving forever. Mm. And it's like, okay, maybe like 50 years ago, you can get a job at an auto manufacturing plant and work for 50 years and then retire. But even that wasn't guaranteed to you. You could blow your back out or get a finger caught in the mm -hmm. machine or the company could fail. And guess what? All those auto companies are gone, right? You, it's not like Detroit is doing really well because of the auto industry right now. And what people want is they just want to avoid change because they want to avoid putting in the effort to evolve, yeah. which is understandable. But if you put in the effort to evolve, you'll be a hundred times better off with the new stuff than you were before. Life's not worse because the internet exists. Life's not worse with electricity or with antibiotics. It's way better. Yeah. But you, people focus on the negative stuff and they don't appreciate the positive stuff until it's ubiquitous. You have to find a way to make the new thing work for what you're doing to enhance what you're doing. Imagine, you know, writers and, and, and now you have the choice, but imagine, you know, uh, in the 1800s, you had to write physically write on paper and then they invented the typewriter. Now you can do it a lot faster, mm -hmm. you know, and then they invented the computer. Now you can do it faster and save and come back to it later <laughs> and pick it up on a different computer and continue to write and everything like that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, the you you that that doesn't make you not a writer because the technology changed. You went from physically writing it on a piece of paper to using a typewriter to using a computer. You know you're still a writer. It's just you're doing it differently. You have to always because because I'm 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 a realist. You know we're we're not getting away from technology, AI, whatever the next wave of technology is, whatever the wave after that is. We cannot escape it. It's happening. It's going to happen. Figure out a way for you to use it for what you're doing. Exactly. It's inevitable. Even if that includes you, you want to go straight analog and you want to make that your niche, you can literally do that. Right. It's, it's, these things are not mandatory, but they don't care whether you like them or not. Like the cars aren't going to go away just because someone doesn't like cars, right? You have to invent the things you want and that's it. And you have to move from there. And I think a lot of what's happening with AI is it's a sort of a, a internal, um, like, they, they sort of feel like they're going to get replaced, like their identity is attached to a certain mm -hmm. thing, and they're going to get replaced by that because something else can now do what they could do. But what they don't see is that some, someone could always do what you could do. Like for writers in Hollywood, you're not the only writer. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I, I can deadly. <laughs> <laughs> for anybody that's listening and not watching, I accidentally touched the remote, and I didn't mean to do that. I'm going to put that back down. <laughs> So that the glare isn't on it. Why is it going so slow? It doesn't normally go that slow. For comedic effect. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. Okay. okay.
Did it, it just, oh, I think the battery might have just died. Oh, maybe it did it on its own because the battery was dying. Maybe. Oh, no, there you go. That's okay. You do a jump cut. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Whatever. It's it's here. But yeah, people have a um sort of insecurity, I think it comes from, where something else can do what they could do. Right. But what they don't realize is someone already could do what you could do. Writers aren't the only writer. If you're a cinematographer, you're not the only cinematographer. Mm-hmm. It's just now AI is also a cinematographer, but it's just like chess players. There's also AI chess players, but there's still chess players. Chess has never been more popular. Mm-hmm. Since Queen's Gambit, which is a film, by the way, it's a TV show, chess has never been more popular ever. And it's more popular among women which and girls. That's yeah. super awesome. And people aren't thinking about it like that. They're just nervous that they're going to get replaced. Right. And they're just not seeing the big picture. It's like, no, you're not going to get replaced. Some of your labor is going to get replaced. So for me, I'm a 3D animator. Like I do a lot of VFX. I'm really good at 3D animation. I'm really terrible at 3D modeling. Mm -hmm. So if I can find an AI that can make the 3D model for me so I can focus all my attention on the thing that I love doing or that Mm -hmm. I'm good at, well, now I'm 10 times more effective. Because it might take me a hundred times longer to do the thing I'm bad at than the thing I'm good at. Right. So if I can outsource that, now I can do everything better and faster. Yeah. And people just undervalue that stuff. And I think over time, people are going to get used to it, but the the pace is just going to accelerate and accelerate and accelerate. People are going to get used to it, you know, and and it it's going to, I think it's going to come in a way that will, um, that will change everything, but like I said, we, we can't fight it. We just can't fight it. And it, and if you don't figure out how to use it to your advantage, then you're kind of missing out. Yeah, just learn to surf. Surfing is fun, you know? The wave, don't be afraid of the wave. It's going to be fun. And I think people are now seeing how much stuff you can do with it. Me, it's been extremely exciting because to me, like if I do a VFX and I need a matte painting, well, now I can go generate a matte painting, right? I can add it into my shot and I can totally change everything. You get closer to that difference we were talking about between taste and ability. Well, it's okay. My taste is up here. Maybe my ability is down here. Yeah. Maybe my budget is down here. Well, now I can get way closer to my taste because of AI. Yeah. And people just don't realize how valuable that is. If the difference between making your dream film is just some resources, and this gives you all those resources, what are you complaining about? Mm. You know? What, what people are really complaining about is they just want to get paid to not evolve. But you have to evolve to get paid. There's no requirement for you to get paid. You have to do something that people find economically valuable and will give you money for it. And just because you found that in the past does not mean that will always be the case. Yeah. Whoever invented Blockbuster had a great model. They found something people were willing to pay them for. They had a chance to buy Netflix for pennies and they didn't do it. And they, I guess, thought that people should always pay them to go into a building and pick a movie off a shelf if they had it and then get a late fee if you took it back. And it's like, okay, well, just because you had something that worked does not mean that people will always pay you for that thing. So you have to be always evolving. And if you don't, it's just to your own disservice. You know, there's no advantage to not evolving. None. None at all. None at all. I think that is a a great way to... uh, to wrap it up, there's no advantage to not evolving. I feel like you guys don't understand the knowledge though. It's just dropped in <laughs> and right here, just like just educated me on so many things, just like the process of, of going through things and understanding how to uh to 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 take advantage of, of everything around you to you know help whatever you're doing grow. It's it's really it's really like 
knowledge bombs that you're dropping. I'm glad you got a lot out of it. You put me on to all kinds of stuff too. So I appreciate it. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, again, this is this is the genius behind Film Crux. And if you're not already subscribed to the Film Crux on YouTube, if you're not already subscribed to 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 uh Film Crux pop the, the Film Crux podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, following on Instagram. You need to do it because amazing things like this happen all the time on all of those platforms. And yeah. Well, I appreciate you. We'll be back. We'll do this again if you guys like it. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Peace. This is not how it's ending. I don't know why the fuck I did that. (laughs) No, it's cool. That was good, man. (laughs) Yeah. Hell yeah. Here at Film Crux, we're known for helping filmmakers take their films and videos to the next level, which is why we're proud to announce Film Crux Plus. Every Film Crux product for just $10 a month. Sound design, foley, cinematic music, VFX assets, and more, all in one place. Your films will never be the same.